Welcome to the podcast, Don't Forget Me, about the life and times of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. Chapter 13. Welcome to the final episode of the podcast, Don't Forget Me, about the life and times of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. I'd like to thank you for joining us on this musical adventure, and a special thanks to the family and friends of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers for making this podcast possible. Now tell us about, I mentioned earlier in this interview that you have a a book out, and uh, it's called White Boy, A Rock and Roll Story. Tell us uh, how this came about. It's the story, of course, of the Cavaliers and the satellites and your musical history. But uh, tell us how it uh, all began for you. What made you sit down and start to bang out a book on a typewriter? Well, it's interesting because I never read it. You know, the only thing I've ever written in my life is music or poetry. And uh, we had, you know, years and years passed. And um, and uh, we finally moved to uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh turned out that there are a lot of people from... New York City, uh, in New York, and New Jersey, and, and a lot of seniors here. And I joined the choir in the synagogue, and I was I used to tell the choir master about all of my adventures in rock and roll. And I gave him a copy of my CD, he liked the CD. And then one day he said to me, you know, these are interesting stories you tell me. Why don't you write a book? So I said, yeah, maybe someday. So I sort of poo-pooed it. Two weeks later, my wife and I were called out for Chinese food, and I opened up the fortune cookie, and it says, you have a way with words. You should write a book. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in the, bo- in the first page of the book is the actual copy of the fortune cookie, so people will, will believe, hopefully, that it is real, because it was. So I had my field of dreams moment, and I figured, okay, I'll write a book. So we have a fortune cookie to thank for this book, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's a title for a song, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how long did it take you to write it? I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a huge book, but it's a, it's a nicely uh, put together book. And uh, how yeah. long did it take you to do this? It took me about a year. No, uh, I think that's pretty good. start to, to finish. For a guy yeah, who never wrote was, one before, you know? Yeah, it, 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 and it took on a life of its own. You know, I, I I didn't tell my wife. I went to my office, and I decided I'm going to spend two hours a day, phones phones shut off, uh, and just my just my computer in front of me, uh, and just write. So well, you have first, to be very disciplined to do that. You have to take those two hours and do it every day. You know, well, you'll never yeah, get it well, done. First, first day, I stared at a blank screen and did nothing. Second day, I stared at a blank screen and did nothing. By the third day, I said, "This is kind of stupid. I better just just write something." So I so the I did my outline. It's you know you know some of the highlights of my my years in rock and roll. About fifteen thousand words later, I gave it to a professor of English at UNCW down here in Wilmington, just to have her um, critique it a little bit. She said, "I like I like the premise. I like the way you write." But I'd like to know, to know more about what it was like being a teenager growing up in the 50s in the Bronx. So I got into very detailed detailed stories about, you know, what it was like living in the subject projects and, and what the kids, you know, the atmosphere and the life that we led as teenagers in the 50s, which to me was the best time ever to be a teenager. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, without a doubt. I agree with you 100%. Oh, yeah. 
being a kid in the 50s. And you've, and you've captured the feel in the book because I've read it and it's uh, very, very interesting. Even though it's, yeah. a, it's a story in a way that was repeated uh, throughout the five boroughs of guys getting together and trying to make it happen, you know? Right. But yours, of course, is unique. Uh, every, every story that you would hear would be unique, and uh, it's a very interesting book. It's called White Boy, a rock and roll story, and uh, written by uh, Stephen Glazer. You know that guy? <laughs> yeah, by <might be> me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, where is it available if somebody wants to, uh, you know, possibly get this book? After hearing this, two things you can do: you can get it on Amazon. You get it on Amazon.com. It's available. Actually, is a sale now. It's, it used to be fifteen ninety nine. It's now nine ninety nine on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So you can either get it in ebook, or you can get it in uh, in hard copy. Okay. And uh, so that's still for sale. Mm-hmm. Or you you also can go to my website. It's scottstevenscavaliers.com. And you'll be able to see um, uh, the history of the group. You'll see some of my songs. Uh, you'll see some uh, lots of pictures from the old neighborhood and and my days in rock and roll and uh, some of my music and stories from the book. So it'll give you an idea of what we're still doing. Oh, great. So it's all there. Now, uh, also, is there an email or someplace where people can go to uh, contact you if they would, would like to after hearing this particular uh, interview? Yeah, actually, if they go to my website, uh, they can leave some messages for me. Okay, why don't you give them how they get there? What's what's the address of the website? Uh, it's just scottstevenscavaliers.com. Okay, scottstevenscavaliers.com. Right. As we draw to a close, the podcast version of the, the story of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers, there's a couple of people that I have to say thank you to, and I'd like to say thank you to Neil Burstein, uh, to Lynn Glazer, who was a driving force in all of this. Lynn is C's wife and was extremely instrumental in making sure that we could put all these pieces together as accurately as possible. And then there's a couple of people we need to hear from. For the audience, tell them who you are. I am, uh, I'm Scott Stevens' son. Uh, my name is Adam. Your dad was so close to being huge in the music industry. I'm curious, growing up, was, was there a lot of music around for you guys? Oh, man, there was, there was so much music around when I was growing up. It was, it was unbelievable. My mom was a, was a dance teacher. She was involved with music. My, and my dad, music was always there in the background, always whether we were listening to it we all we, and and i had the cool parents my my dad was always up on the latest you know how some parents they only listen to stuff from 30 40 years ago my parents the cutting edge anything that came out you know from the beatles to elo i'm talking the 70s here eagles disco punk rock anything you could imagine they were they were on the forefront phil collins i remember my dad buying the one of the first CD machines, so, and he said, "Adam, you gotta." He sat my sister and I down. He said, "You've got to listen to this." And I can remember us being able to enjoy that music with him. Now, the sad part was, for a long time, my dad shunned music in terms of playing it or singing it altogether. So that was that was frustrating because we knew he was talented, we knew he could sing, and he kind of just did anything he could to avoid it. Our house was filled with love, and, and, and I know there's been some other suggestions, but there was always a lot of love in, in our house. And so whether any big holiday, 
any big holiday, you name it, Christmas, Thanksgiving, we would beg my dad to sing. He would reluctantly give in after five or six people saying, come on, come on, you got to sing, you got to sing. And when he sang, it was like, picture Christmas, Thanksgiving, your birthday, a surprise party. It was, it was all those things rolled into one because this guy, I know it's going to sound biased because, you know, he's my dad, but he, he was talented and it was getting out this gift to the world. And unfortunately he was only doing it every once in a while. But when he sang, it was a treat because he didn't do it that often. One of the biggest joys of my life, and we still laugh about it to this day, is my dad wrote a song called Five Cents in My Pocket, and my sister and I used to perform it with him playing the guitar. I was young at the time, maybe four, five, six, and we never got through it. My dad would always try to mess me up because, you know, I was cute and I was this kid, but we still laugh about it to this day. So those are the kind of memories I have of my dad and music and how prevalent it was. And it affected my sister loves music. I took my love of music and I was a, I was a drummer growing up. I played the drums. I was pretty decent in my, in my own light. I got to play in a Bronx borough wide at Carnegie Hall, which was awesome. And my dad always supported that. And he loved, even though drums can be pretty loud in an apartment building, he loved when I played. There was so much love in that house when, when my dad was playing music or when my mom was dancing with my dad or encouraging my dad to sing. She wanted him to sing and she would encourage it. And she, she was a big supporter doing something that he loved and not hiding that gift. It, it, was, it wasn't an easy childhood growing up at times, but I will tell you something. There was a lot of love in that house. And a lot of that love was surrounded by the music because everybody loved the music. Um, everybody in my family loved the music. They loved dancing. They loved singing. They loved carrying on. And my dad was a very, even though he was this great musician, he was a very introverted guy. And my mom's side was very loud and boisterous. And they, I think they helped him get him out of his shell. I don't think we'd be having this conversation today if they wouldn't have prodded him to sing. And if they wouldn't have said, come on, come on, Scott, you know, let, come on, let's get this, let's get this going. Let, you can do this. I, we want to hear you sing. I think it took him a long time to realize that he had a story to be told and a gift and he still wanted to create music and make music and sing music. And I think the seeds of that were planted during those Christmas and holiday celebrations. And I don't think the tree of him re-releasing the Cavaliers music, writing music on his own, playing music on his own, and writing a book, I don't think any of that comes without the seeds being planted of those celebrations, those birthday parties, Christmas, holidays, Jewish holidays, Christian holidays, whatever the occasion was, there was always music, there was always love, and there was always my dad singing a song or two, which we never heard him sing otherwise. We were engulfed by it. We were surrounded by it. My sister was an amazing, amazing singer. She could have she could have been a professional if she if she would have decided to pursue that. And she got that from my dad. 
my sister did her Haftorah, and after she did it, people came up to her and said, oh my God, you're such an incredible singer. That was amazing. You should think about doing this professionally. There is a direct correlation with my dad in that if you remember, my dad started singing in Hebrew school and was going to be a cantor. He was told the exact same thing when he did his Haftorah. And when I tell you my sister could sing, it was a female version of my dad. She had an amazing voice, still does. And so not only was music, we were engulfed by it, but a lot of the talent was passed down. Like I said, I played drums, my sister sang, my mom was a dancer. How could we escape the music? It was always there. It was always at the forefront. And some of my happiest, most cherished memories come from those times. Some of them just come from just being in the car and sitting in the car with my family and the music playing. And I'm going to date myself here, putting the 8-track cassettes in, you know, when the, when 8-tracks were still, you know, the thing. And I remember when 8-tracks went out, Of obviously people stopped using 8-tracks. I think I counted. I think we had something like 400 8-track cassettes. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not like, that's not normal. That, a normal family... And listen, we were far from normal, right? But in a lot of other ways, but a normal family like does not have 408 track cassettes. They just don't. And so when I tell you that, even though my dad might not have been singing or he may not have been pursuing it, it was always there and it always was an old friend. Sometimes you fight with your old friend. Sometimes you don't speak to your old friend, but it's, but, but when times are tough, that friend is always there. I think that's what it was like for my dad in that period where he was totally like, I'm done with this. I've been totally taken advantage of. I've been chewed up and spit out by this music industry. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited about you guys working together and his story getting told and his story being put out there because the way I look at it is you can't have you can't have a history of baseball without talking about Jackie Robinson. I mean, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. And I'm not sitting here saying that my dad is Jackie Robinson. Don't, don't get me wrong. In the, how, does the, how does rock and roll or the history of rock and roll not tell this story of this guy, Scott Stevens, that cared so much about the music that he didn't care that his bandmates were black, red, green, orange. He just wanted the best talent around him. And oh, by the way, those guys just happen to be African-American. And the second person that we need to hear from is Stacy. And Stacy is Steve's daughter. So. Well, and it's interesting because usually siblings, siblings have different stories, right? Right. Like usually one remembers something different a version of something different than the other. And I think, you know, my brother and I through the years have had many hard conversations about our family and things that went on. But one thing we totally both remember is what we talked to you about. Like my, when my uncle passed away, he told my brother, whenever you hear ELO, I want you to know it's me. That's how often the ELO album played in my house. Like we loved that album. Or, you know, the first time my father got a CD player 
And the first song he played was um, Take On Me by Aha. Like the distinct sounds on that. My father and I were like, oh, what is this? <laughs> you know, because back then we thought CDs sounded better than records, but we didn't know then what we know now. But I mean, you know, music was just a thing. Did my brother tell you the story about the time my father came home with like these tremendous speakers? No. Oh my God. Okay. And then I, I don't know if we have to be done, but I have to tell you the story. So my father would go to like the flea markets and he would find things. My father was a collector of things. My, my, my husband says I come by that naturally. Came home one day. I don't even know how to even describe them. They had to be probably two feet high and at least a foot wide. And it was this wood speaker. One was just a speaker, and inside the other speaker, you opened up the top. There was a speaker in that one, too, but you opened up the top, and there was a record player, and I think it was a eight-track player and a radio. My mother looked at him and was like, what the, what the, what the, she was so mad at him. I remember her being so mad at him. And I don't know if my brother told you, my father was a woodworker. My father could build tables, and he... He was very mechanical, like he could, like if he wouldn't have done what he did, he would have been a carpenter, is what we've talked about with my dad. He was a carpenter. He, he loved carpentry. So anyway, he, he's like, Nancy, please just let me, let me fix it up. Let me do what I do. And, you know, somehow he convinced her that it was going to be okay. And I have to tell you that that thing, that's what I remember, like prior to the holidays or prior to birthday parties, my mother you know, my father getting showered and shaved, my mother getting made up in her bathroom, my brother and I's little outfits laid out for whatever holiday or birthday it was. And that stereo going, there was always music. The, you know, she was playing the, the, the album to Cats, which I hated, or like Pippin, or A Chorus Line, or 42nd Street. I mean, these were all the things that were on the stereo in my house all the time. And then, of course, ELO would come out and you know, we would play ELO, but I loved, we loved music. You know, I know my father's dream didn't come true, but, you know, he kept the music in our house. And so did she in her own way. We were just talking about it this morning. Like, you know what, in spite of all of our crazy times, we, we did have, we did have fun. We really did. So hopefully that gives you a little bit better of a picture of my mother because she really was like very, fell off too, but she, oh, we always had the holidays at my house. She was always cooking and she used to make these amazing cakes for our birthdays. And I remember even when we didn't have money, like one of my very more affluent girlfriends in the Bronx, her parents, every birthday would buy her this beautiful corsage and she'd go to school with this corsage on and I, we didn't have money for that. And so my mother one night stayed up and made me one. Pipe cleaners and lightsabers and tissue paper. And she was like, I know it's not a real because at one point you used to get the corsage and like the girls would have candy in the corsage. And so she made it look like that. Or like, you know, my brother in the very last second going, I have a paper that I need to be typed. And my mother would say, okay, when is it due? Tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. And she'd stay up until two o'clock in the morning typing his paper. You know, everybody talks about my father as, in relation to Scott Stevens. And just what I remember is the, is the man, my father, like the person that he was to me and how, how impressed I was with his voice and his musical talent, how proud I was of him whenever he would sing. You know, we would, I mean, there would be times where he, on the holidays, he wouldn't want to sing. And we'd be like, come on, please, please. <laughs> and we'd get him to take his guitar out and do a family rendition of Five Cents in My Pocket or whatever the song of the time was we would sing. 
um, he and I used to love to sing Moon River. That was our song. So uh, to me, he's just my dad. I'm very enamored of the story about him. And in talking to you, I realized, like, how much of that would I have had of my dad if he had become famous, right? Like, what would my relationship have been like with my dad if he was famous? I know it's hard to be grateful for him not being famous. Maybe I would have been famous, too. I don't know. Maybe I would have pursued my musical career because he was already in the industry. There's so many things. My brother played the drums. He was extremely talented. Like maybe we would have been a musical family. I don't know. But I just, I just love my dad for being Steve Glazer, right? Like this is just another part of his story that I am honored to be part of and know. But I'm just Steve's daughter. And I love my dad whether he was famous or not. I don't know. I think it's important, especially in light of you know, talking about my mom and my dad's relationship that there was joy in our home. I mean, we may have been, we may have been crazy um, and we may have had issues just like any other family, but we had music, right? We had music was just so much joy for us, whether it was, you know, theater music or my dad singing or my brother and I putting on some silly show for our family. I'm grateful that my parents met each other because then my brother and I wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be able to tell our story and continue making sure music is in our lives in some way, whether it's us making it or making sure it's incorporated. I think, you know, music is just a really pivotal part of who we are as a family. And music did bring us joy. Okay, so where we left off, where did we leave off? We left off, you were, oh, we were starting to tell the stories, like the hilarious stories. You had Mm -hmm. hijinks in your (laughs) off hours. So there were hijinks. We don't have to like delve into the specific. I will never forget it. So Um, what age were you when you, when you were at Raymond, when you were at Raymond Lee? That was, that was Raymond Lee, right? When you had Yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was my thirties. Thirties. Okay. Yeah, my thirties. So, and at that point were you still married? Yeah. And then? Married for 25 years. 25 years. Yeah. And not singing. Organizing, but not singing. Not singing. Right. For, I would say, I stopped singing. What's that? Were your kids musical? Yes. Tell me about their music. Uh, Adam was a drummer. Mm. He got all his frustrations out on his drums. It's <laughs> a good way to do it. Uh, and he was a drummer. And Stacy uh, sang. She was in the, in the chorale in, in, mm-hmm. in high school. And, um, but she, she never really pursued it, actually. She's, in, she's a, media, a media buyer now for uh, Channel six in Portland, Oregon. So you really saw them for who they were, though. Like, they were allowed to be musicians yeah. or media buyers. Yeah, whatever they want to be. just dug them. They didn't want to yeah. be. Adam wanted to be a football player. He just didn't have the height. Actually, mm-hmm. went to school um, at SCSU in, in New Haven in Connecticut, and he was on the football team. And um, That's a cold place to play football. Supposedly, <laughs> they and they were looking away when um, and all the enhancement drugs were being pushed mm-hmm. around, and he didn't want any part of it, and he just quit. Wow. Yeah, so he had his standards also, and, and he just didn't want any part of it. He's a personal trainer, has his own personal training business, and he has a, he's a CEO of a weight loss company in wow. South Carolina right now. Three kids. We have, between us, we have 10 grandchildren uh, around the United States. Houston, Texas, Portland, Oregon, New York City, uh, Briarcliff Manor in Westchester County, and, uh, and in uh, um, Huntersville, North Carolina. That's great. So they're all around. They come to Wilmington to go to the beach. 
and see you. And see and us. See you guys. Right. So but genetically, mostly the on your, like, when you look at your life, when you look at your family, it sounds like, based on one ex- example you gave, it sounds like maybe the musical gene came from your dad's taste and your mother's side. Yeah, my, my like, aunt was an opera singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, your aunt my, on your on my mother's, mother's side. side. But she's your dad still alive. loved opera. And he, Why do angry people always love opera? I love opera too. Yeah, he loved opera. And as a matter of fact, he went to Hollywood to try to break into film yeah. uh, before he married my mom. And it, it just didn't. What just did he want to do? He wanted to act. He wanted to act. Yeah. But he never really talked about it. Really? I had to get it out of uh, his, his sister's, his sister and his brother that did he went to Hollywood. Did you talk about it with your kids? Did you talk about, did you play your songs for them? Oh, yeah. They, they, they know, know everything oh. about my music and, awesome. and what's going on. But the grandkids didn't. And it was good. it's good that I wrote that, wrote this for them because they know a lot more about what made me tick. Mm. And so that's, that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that I w- had questions about, like, I know that this is f- false in terms of the actual narrative, mm-hmm. but in, there is going to be an important part of the story that brings together, you know, there's something dramatically resonant. I'm just going to be cheap and, you know, on the nose about this, like, about the guy who ends up in Leavenworth, and you end up having made a different, like, music left both of your lives. One ends up in Leavenworth, one ends up in a like a life that's imperfect, like every life, but joyful, and ultimately you find your way back to music. Um, is there? Give some thought at some point, and this is actually something to stick a pin in. But give some thought at some point. Is there something there that we could just in the same way that you come back together with Wiles, like that there might be something that can be invented to allow it to have all the shape of the of the group itself. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that we can have some of that stuff reach the end of the story and not just where, it, where when, the, when the group ends, the relationships between the group end. And I think that because those themes are important, the themes of, like you spoke so articulately about um, shared experience, but there's difference there. I don't want to just suddenly like have the black story drop away. And is there a way to incorporate that, or like just let's think about that along the lines, like uh, down the line? Um, that's not germane to these specific questions you were talking about, but I just think it's something to think about, just to make sure that that feels like it resonates all the way through the story. Right. I was wrestling with how do you end this story that we've been telling. When you set up to do something like this, you're really invading someone's life in a lot of ways. Sometimes you're invading the lives of people who are welcoming it. And sometimes there's peripheral people and people who are very important to your story who, even though they're part of the story, that doesn't mean telling the story is fair to them. So some of the people that I reached back out to were Steve's kids. And I I wanted them to to hear the story I've been telling so far and, and to be able to talk to me about what they thought was missing. And that's what you're hearing here. With a story, don't forget me. Um, there's a, there's a, a little bit of Hollywooding in the story. And you can hear one of the interviewers taking notes on Steve's story here and talking about how do we change this? How do we twist this? How do we make this, this story work? And I, I worked really hard in the story I just told you that you've heard over the last 12 parts, chapters, and I worked really hard on the screenplay to make sure that, that 
those people could be heard. Hollywood could have its drama and its conflict. But at the end of it all, we have a story that sparks a conversation. And part of that conversation is why hasn't the music industry changed in all of this time? Because it really hasn't changed in terms of how it treats people across racial lines and the equity between social classes. And I think that's like one of the most important elements to all of this. Because in our timeline right now, in the movie timeline, present day Steve walks up the stairs and he has a drink and he has pictures of the Cavaliers. And we tell a little bit about what happened to each of those guys. And Steve's the only one left. And the very last thing that happens in the movie is there's a song called Don't Forget Me that was Steve and Steve's first song that they wrote and poor man's copyrighted to themselves, slipping it into an envelope and, and, and mailing it to themselves. And that song is lost to time. And that song is representative of everything that we have happening in this story for kind of everybody. I, I wanted to close out this story and just make sure that it was heard. Because, yeah, we do want to hear a little, maybe we want to hear a little bit more about the personalities of some of the Yeah, talk, band that's members. a great talk idea. A bit yeah. The individual John members. And, that's a great and, idea. And, um, and Junie and. Well, uh, Junie, um, I don't know too much about his personal life. I know that. The, Especially from early, you know, the early yeah. years. Well, Junie, again, he replaced Steve Wilde. Well, let's, let's start with Steve and, my, and myself. Um, Good the, idea. The, you know, Steve was a, was a character. Uh, were you cut up? Uh, were you guys serious? Yeah, we were we were cut up, and uh, we we just we had a good old time, and 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 it surrounded it surrounded music. I I really think that if if I hadn't have broken up with Steve Wilde, you know, he died of uh, of kidney failure. He was an alcoholic, uh, oh, and he had a drinking problem, and he needed a transplant. They refused to give it to him, so I watched him die. Um, and you and, were there. Yeah, I was there. I actually, I was there the night before he died. He died that's the next cute. day. That's cute. I mean, that's what I mean. And, yeah. um, I, and as a matter of fact, there's a gem of a, um, of a song that I want to write, and it's called I Could Have Been Art and You Could Have Been Paul. For him. Yeah. Um, it's... Um, was he your best friend? Yeah, he, he was my best friend, and and the the what what's even more, um, once we ended our relationship, he became best friends with my brother, and actually was brother my he was my brother's best man at his wedding, and I was Your not. brother? Yeah, my younger brother. So he became his face, and we didn't talk for thirty five years. And then he called me and said, he said, "Hi, this is Steve," and I said, "Hi, Steve, how are you?" Yeah. I know it was you. He said, how'd you know it was me? I said, I'd never forget that voice. <laughs> and we, be, we just picked up the friendship like it, like it. Now, I could have hung up the phone, mm -hmm. but I didn't. Because mm -hmm. I, I you don't hang up on people that try to get hold of you. So you know. how long in between you and Steve sort of parting ways and then he and your brother connecting? Or I mean, they knew each other. Yeah, they knew right? each other. But, and I mean, them really... Then they really well, bonded, and, and then they became best yeah. friends, and, and I didn't have anything to do with him. And he became, he, you know, foolishly for me, for me, he became my brother's best man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't go to his wedding. Mm 
because of that. Mm. I didn't go to my own brother's wedding. Wow. Which was maybe stupid on my part. It's so unlike and you. I, and I say that in the book. And I, yeah, and right. I, I was a different person. Sure. You know, you know certain things that, um, that went on in, in the yeah. dynamic of my family. And uh, we, we were not friendly together uh, growing up. We were always competing and at odds with each, with each other. I had a question about that. So did it feel like that friendship, what, did it feel threatening that, it, that they became so close, your brother and Steve? Yeah, I just was, I was, I was just pissed off that my brother chose him as best man. Mm -hmm. I oh, that right. Was yeah, God a, damn it. That, I understand that. Betrayal. <laughs> okay, as a matter of fact, Steve Wallace says, I didn't says think this, about that, right. Steve Wallace said the story to me once. He said, I went to the wedding and your aunts, came over to me and attacked me with their pocketbooks and they're slamming my head with the pocketbooks and saying, you shouldn't have been his best man. That should have been Steve's and his Did we best come from man. the same family? They're just yeah. attacking him, yeah. which I, I, got, I got great joy out of hearing. Yeah. <laughs> but right, it, was, uh, it was very interesting. And then the, our, actually our last performance together as a group was the Apollo Theater in 1959 on the Hal Jackson Review. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the last performance of the, of the Cavaliers. And now, I, how did you uh, get that uh, that particular uh, gig? Uh, my manager at the time uh, 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 got it, and um, he was able to book a set. You know, he met with Hal Jackson. It was a Hal Jackson review, and I had been on one of Hal Jackson's shows in Mount Vernon. He was doing a rock and roll show. So, actually, when I was 16, I first met Hal Jackson, mm -hmm. and because I was, I did, we didn't even have the group uh, formed at that time. But he remembered me, and we did uh, we we uh, did his show. And by that time, my entire group was African American. I was I was the as a matter of fact that show. I was the only white person in the show, the audience, the band. And here's this white kid from the Bronx, uh, Scott Stevens, doing the uh, you know being there. And I was more accepted and and um, in Holland than any other place in the United States. It was a great experience. How better was. I, I, I landed on the uh, Apollo stage just once. Uh, we had promoted a show from uh, actually BLS, uh, uh, you know, another station was doing a show. And the woman who was putting it on knew me and she said, could you have uh, Speedo from the Cadillacs on your show to talk about my show? So he, mm -hmm. he came on and talked about it. And then she said, come on down if you want to. So I went down and I was uh, out in the wings and the Cadillacs are about to go on. And she says, would you like to introduce them? So I went out on it, and it was a thrill of a lifetime to be in a theater like that with such a history. It was great. As a matter of fact, on that show were Brooke Benton, Della Reese, Wilbur Harrison, the guy, the guy to Kansas City. Sure. The Schmalls, Little Anthony and the Imperials, and the Cavaliers. All right. Uh, and our roommates, uh, uh, we shared the dressing room with the Imperials. And oh. I had a, we had a blast. I'll we bet you really did. We had a blast. It was great. Great. That's the last element of this story in audio form. You know, when you hear music from today, from 50 years ago, don't forget all the people that made that happen. And certainly don't forget the people that made up groups like Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. And Steve, nobody's ever going to forget your story. Won't you come see about me? I'll be alone Dancing, you know it, baby Tell me your troubles and doubts Giving me everything inside and out 
strange So real in the dark Think of the tender things That we were working on Slow change may pull us apart When the light gets into your heart, baby Don't you forget about me This is Don't Forget Me, a podcast about Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. Music and words are adapted with the permission of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. We hope you've enjoyed this musical adventure. Check the show notes to find out more about Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. to Lynn Glazer, I want to thank Bruce and Harold, who without this, none of this would be possible. And thank you, Adam. Thank you, Stacy. And thanks to Jamie and Nick on our side for making sure that all of this was able to come together technically.